God, for the worship. Amen. Father, we thank you, Lord, so much for who you are and, Lord, how you work in our lives. Father, Lord, we're, we're just uh, so grateful that you love us the way that you do. And Lord, that your grace is there for us every day, that your mercy is on you every day. And Father, I, I thank you, Lord, for this Lord, past year. And as we get ready for another year, Lord Jesus, we pray for your blessings and strength and wisdom and discernment. Lord, um, we, we need you. Father, we need each other here at, at Cry Out. And so, Father, bless, bless our time together and, and bless our, our new year. Father, um, I pray that you would speak to our hearts as we open up your word, Lord. I decrease that you would increase. And for myself, of myself, so fill me with yourself. And what I say and do, every thought that enters my mind will be of you, not of me. I pray this in Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen, amen. Praise God. Turn to 1 Timothy chapter 5. 1 Timothy chapter 5. We took a break from our series Church Life last week because I gave you a Christmas message, and today we're back in this series, Church Life. Say, Church Life. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 1 through 16. We're now in part 11 of this series, Church Life. And before we dive into the text, I want to do a quick review from chapter 4, verses 6 to 16. And you might remember I gave you four points, and the first point was preaching. Say that. And that's in verse 6 of chapter 4. And Paul's like, Timothy, if you you point this out to the believers, in other words, if you warn them about false doctrine, about apostasy, and if you preach and teach them the truth, if you teach them sound doctrine, if you instruct the church in the things of God, continually laying down or placing people under the authority of the Word of God, you will be a good, excellent, noble minister of Christ Jesus, brought up, say brought up, that's nourished in the truths of the faith, and of, the God, me, and of the good teaching that you have followed. And you see the good, excellent, noble minister, pastor, not only feeds himself on the Word of God and instructs others in the Word of God, but also obeys and follows the Word of God. It's feeding and following. The second point was practicing. Say that. That's in verses 7 through 12. And instead of listening to old wives' tale, Paul says, he says, stick to the Bible, feed on the book, don't feed on trash. And forget these worldly old wives' tales, uh, these myths and endless genealogies and empty rituals because they have nothing of nourishment in them for the spiritual life. Rather, he says, train yourself, in other words, practice or exercise to be godly. Because training, he says, in godliness is profitable for the present life and also for the life to come. Now, now we know that Paul isn't against physical exercise. He's just comparing the temporal, right, from the eternal. That's all he's doing. Paul then tells Timothy, don't let anyone look down on you because you are young. And Timothy was around 30 years old at this time, and perhaps there were those who were jealous because uh, he, Timothy, was promoted to leadership, or perhaps there were those who were doubting his gifting, and maybe this involved a lack of respect towards Timothy, and so how do you respond as a young leader? And Paul says, but set an example for the believers. And so he wants Timothy to be an example in five areas. And this, implies, this, this, this applies to every Christian. He says, but set an example for the believers in what? Speech, in life, in faith, in speech, life, love, faith, and purity. The third point was progressing. Say that. That's in verse, verses 13 through 15. 
that, that your progress, Paul's saying, may be evident. And so Paul's like, hey, until I come, give yourself, give yourself to do these three things. And he says, the reading of the Scripture. Remember that? The reading of the Scripture, the preaching, that's exhortation. That means to warn and to, to advise, to urge, it exhorts. And the teaching, the teaching, that's instruction, it informs. And what he's saying is expound on the Bible. And then Paul reminded Timothy about his gifting. Do not let, neglect your gift, which was given you through the prophetic message when the body of elders laid their hands on you. And then Paul tells Timothy, be diligent. I love that. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly, wholly to them, not, not half-hearted, but wholly to them, so that everyone may see your progress. What Paul is saying to Timothy is, is not only should they see your godly example and see you teaching God's word, but they should also see progress, progress in your life, that you are growing and that you are gaining, that you are developing in your walk with God. The fourth point was persevering. Say that. That's in verse 16, and Paul gives three exhortations. Remember this? First one was what? Watch your life. The second one, watch your teaching or, or doctrine closely. The third one was what? Persevere, persist in them. Why? Because if you do, he says, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Now remember, Paul's not saying that Timothy can save himself or others. He's not saying that. Jesus alone is the one who saves. If you believe that, say amen. But Paul's emphasis here is on, this is now Christian endurance. Say endurance. Faithfulness, say faithfulness. Perseverance, say perseverance. And what Paul is driving at is that Timothy or any pastor or any leader as well as all believers, should be characterized by personal integrity. In other words, watch your life, doctrinal purity, watch your teaching, doctrine closely, and spiritual security. Persevere. This now brings us to today's text, and the title of today's message is The Family. Say that. Now, with more enthusiasm, say it. The Family. Now, if you're safe, say amen. Listen, one of the greatest blessings of being a Christian is being in the family of God. And what we are as a church is a family. We're a family. We're familia, amen? We're not a corporation. We're not a company. We are a family. And therefore, we are to act like a family. We are to function, function like a family, and we are to treat, treat one another as family. Today's text is about how to treat those in the family of God, about honor, and care in the family of God. It is specifically written to the pastors and the leaders in the church. Now, now perhaps some of you are ready to dismiss yourself from this text because the text is about how the pastor or leader interacts with church members and the importance of caring for widows. And you're like, you know, I'm not a pastor. And you're saying to yourself, I'm not a leader or a widow. But I want to tell you, this message is for everyone. It's God's word, isn't it? So it's for everyone, and there's something in the text for all of us, amen, to glean on. Three points, if you're ready, say yes. Well, number one is this, the procedure. Say that, the procedure. Write that down and look at verses one and two. And here, Paul, what he does, and I love this, he gives Timothy the standard procedure for pastoral interaction, the standard procedure in exhorting the church members. He says, like, Timothy, Timothy, this is the course of action you ought to take. 
And there, there is an appropriate way, Timothy, for the pastor and the leader to treat the church members. Now, I would say that this, is, this, this also is applicable to all of us in the way that you and I, all of us, interact with each other. Someone say amen. Now, you will notice the family theme in each case. So let's go, verse 1. Do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if he were your what? Father. I'm going to stop there. This obviously implies that there are times when church members need to be corrected. Yeah? Yeah. And so Paul is saying to Timothy, when you need to correct, when you need to confront an older man in the church, do not, listen, do not get in his face. Do not be harsh. Do not be abrasive in your approach. And so Paul is admonishing Timothy to, to say the right thing at the right time in the right way. And also to take into account the age of the person, Timothy, that you are correcting. So if he's an older man, correct him. Yes, correct him. But be careful how you correct him. Are you guys with me? Don't rebuke him harshly. Rather, exhort him, say exhort him, as if, as if he were your father. Speak to him. Correct him, what? Gently and respectfully. You guys with me on this? Exhort him. Say, say, say exhortation. Exhortation means simply encouragement. It's, it's urging the person to do what needs to be done. It, it has the manner of an encouraging coach or trainer urging and helping the athlete to achieve their best. Exhort them, Timothy, because pastors are to help lead the sheep and build up the sheep, not beat them up. Amen? So Paul tells Timothy, go ahead. Go ahead, Pastor Timothy, and correct an older man, but exhort him. Exhort him as if he were your, say it, father. Now, I want to say this, because my father, I called him daddy all the time. Uh, he went home to be with Jesus six years ago. And when he was alive, whenever I talked to him, I always talked to my daddy with the utmost respect. And uh, even when we had disagreements, and we did, I never spoke uh, to him disrespectful, disrespectfully. And, and I honored my daddy. And I know some of you are probably saying, my father is not an honorable person, and I'm sad. I'm sorry to hear that, but I need to tell you that God's word is very clear that we are to honor our father and mother. And listen, and I have said this many times, you don't need to honor their personality, but you must honor their position. Amen? Now let's read on. Sweet on. Treat younger men as what? As brothers. I want to stop there. So Timothy, when you have to correct a younger person that is about your age or perhaps even younger than, than you, don't, don't talk down to them. Okay? Treat them and speak to them as you would a brother. And so treat younger men as brothers. And he goes on in verse 2, older women, women as mothers. I want to stop there. Paul's saying, when you, when you have to correct an older woman, he says, you, you talk to her with the same respect and dignity that you would give to the mother that you love. Do you guys get that? Because she is, in a sense, functioning as a mother in the family of God. So treat younger men as brothers, 
older women as mothers, and then let's read on, and younger women, younger women as sisters. Now notice the phrase Paul adds to that. And younger women as sisters with absolute purity. Did you get that? So, so Timothy, when you correct a younger woman, make sure your conduct towards her is always pure and above reproach. Because a godly man is not flirtatious or provocative and does not use innuendos or words that can be taken in a flirtatious or provocative way. Let there be no hint of any desire, what Paul's driving at here, any desire for immorality. She is God's child. Amen? And you are to treat her as your sister. And sadly, sadly, many pastors and leaders have gotten into trouble by being flirtatious or provocative with younger women. And sadly, correction can be a doorway into seduction. And these pastors will sit and correct a younger woman and then counsel them and become flirtatious with her. And this is why Timothy says, right, as sisters with absolute what? Purity. So pastors, leaders are to correct older men as fathers, right? Treat younger men as brothers, older women as what? Mothers, and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. So you see, there's a, a f- familial relationship between pastors and the people that he's shepherding. Now I want you to write this down, 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 3. 1 Peter 5, 1 through 3. And Peter writes this, he says, to the elders, pastors, okay, elders, pastors, to the elders, pastors among you, I appeal, he says, Peter says, as a fellow elder, as a fellow pastor, and a witness of Christ's suffering who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Then he says this, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be. Not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. Verse 3, not lording it over those entrusted to you. Did you get that? But being examples to the flock. Pastors are not to domineer. Not to lord over the flock that God has put under their care. And unfortunately, unfortunately, sadly, there are pastors who are controlling. There are pastors who are verbally abusive with their church members. And they lead with a hammer instead of with honor, love, and grace. So so here's a lesson. You ready for the lesson? Treat everyone respectfully. Amen? Treat every, let's say that together. Treat everyone respectfully. Now, if you're safe, say amen. Listen now, we are brothers and sisters in Christ. We're family. We're familia, right? Now, we may not not always agree with each other, and and at times we may not get along, but we must treat each other with respect. Must treat each other with respect. We're not perfect. We're not. And guess what, friends? Newsflash, we're all dysfunctional. We're all dysfunctional in some way or another. And as I said many times, the church is not a society of perfect people. Rather, it's a society of redeemed people who express their spirituality through imperfect personalities. 
Got it? We're not enemies. We're not. Okay, we're not opponents. And guess what? We are more than acquaintances. We are more than friends. We're family. Everyone say we're family. Okay, listen now. We are blood, we, we are, listen now. We're blood brothers and sisters, right? Because we're tied together by the blood of Jesus Christ. And I want to tell you this. It's my hope and prayer that I and the leaders here at Cry Out that we are treating every one of you with respect. Now, if you ever see me treating anyone disrespectfully, confront me about that. You have the right to do so. If you ever see one of our leaders treating anyone disrespectfully, confront them about that. If you you ever see anyone in this church treating anyone disrespectfully, confront them about that. But make sure when you do that, okay, when you confront them, that you're not harsh or abusive in your approach. Do it respectfully with honor, love, and grace. Amen? Say the procedure. Number two is the plan. Say that. The plan. The plan for the care of widows. The plan for honoring widows. Look at verse 3 with me now. Give proper recognition to or honor those widows who are really in need. Underline that really in need. We'll get to that later on. Say honor. Come on, say honor. Okay, that's a command. It's in the imperative. And the word honor here doesn't just mean shown respect. It means compensate. It means to provide the needs for financially. It means compensate out of respect. Also, notice it's in the present tense. We continually recognize, honor, and compensate widows who are really in need. Got it? Those who have no one to care for them, love them, and provide for them. Now, when it comes to caring for widows, God's primary plan, you got to get this now, God's primary plan is not the church. It's not the church. It's the family. It's the immediate family. You guys with me? Prove it. I will. Look at verse 4. I'm going to prove it here. Verse 4. Paul says, but if a widow has children or grandchildren, these, these speaking of children or grandchildren, should learn, first of all, to put their religion into practice by caring for their own family and so repaying their parents and grandparents for this is what? Pleasing to God. So God's primary plan is that a widow's children and grandchildren are the ones responsible to care for her. You guys with me? They ought to repay her for this is good and acceptable to God, pleasing to God. And listen, friends, if your mom is a widow, if she is, friends, you don't just wash your hands and say, I'm not responsible. No, 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 no. No, no, no. You are the first in line (laughs) of provision, stepping in, caring, loving, and meeting her needs. Can I get amen? Let's go back to the text. Let's go back to the text. He says, repaying their parents and grandparents for this is pleasing to God. Paul's like, hey, don't forget how your mother and don't forget how your grandmother took care of you. <laughs> you guys with me? Listen, when you, were, when you were a kid, she fed you. She changed your stinking and stinking, yes, diaper. You guys with me? She took care of you when you were sick. 
She was there for you, taking care of you. She put up with your nonsense, your attitude. And now, guess what? She took care of you. Now, listen now, she needs you to take care of her. Right? She's in need, and you need to return the favor. You need to repay her with the same care. So you ready for the lesson? Here we go. Charity begins at home. Someone say amen. Charity begins at home. About a month before my, my daddy passed away, I was there just about every day for almost four, four plus months in the hospital. And, and a month before he had passed, he, I was getting ready to go home. I was there all day. And I said, Daddy, I'm, I'm going to head home now to get some rest. And, and he called me over. My mom was on his side and the other side of him. He says, come here, Mio. Yeah, Daddy. He goes, come here. And, and, and he whispered in my ear. He said, take care of your mama. And I knew that he knew that he was going to go soon. And he said, take care of your mama. And um, I said, Daddy, I sure will. And when he passed, the moment he passed, I was right there to make sure that my mama's needs were met. And uh, she took care of me for many years. And I willingly and lovingly returned the favor to her. Um, some of the women here at Cry Out, and, and I love you so much how you guys just had offered to help me in her care, and, and I appreciated that. One of the women here has heard me talking about, I got to go, I got to take my mom to um, get her medication and, and run errands, and, and she pulled me aside. She says, Pastor, I, I can do that, I can do that. And I said, you know what, sis, I, I appreciate that. I do, but that's my responsibility. And I made that vow to my dad. Not only, it's, only, it's also scriptural. I was not only her pastor, her son. Amen? So we need to take care of mama. And I see some of you here, your moms are widows, and you're taking care of them. I tell you, I, I just love you for that. It just blesses my heart to see as the way that you take care of your mom. Amen? Let's move on to verse 5. The widow who is what? Really in need. And left all alone. In other words, she has no husband to provide for her because, what, he died. He passed away. Maybe she has no children. Maybe she has no grandchildren. Perhaps they're just losers. They're not around. They don't care. Okay? So she's in a destitute situation. And you see, in that culture, friends, in that culture in Paul's day, nothing was more tra tragic than being a widow. And they didn't have the, the choice of careers that they have today and no pension plan, no, no social security for them to depend on. So it was tough. So the widow who is really in need and left all alone, this is what it says, I love this, puts her hope in God. Do you get that? And continues, 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 night and day to pray and ask God for help. I love that. And Paul, Paul says, that's the character of a true widow. You guys got that? This reminds me of Anna, the prophetess. Remember her? Remember her? In Luke chapter 2, verses 36 to 38, she never left the temple. And she's listen, serving night and day with fastings and prayers. So Paul says she needs to be a woman who has no other means of income, destitute. She is one who is trusted in God, right? And one who has a life of prayer and who is a, a prayer warrior, a prayer warrior who has thrown her whole life, her whole life, Upon God. You get that? Verse 6. But 
Listen to what he says here now. But the widow who lives for pleasure is dead even while she what? Lives. In contrast to the widow who is spiritually alive, who prays to God for help, in contrast to that are those women who are women, widows who are spiritually dead and are living for pleasure. Now, they may attend church, but they're not living for God. And Paul describes this woman as being dead even while she what? Lives, which echoes the spiritual emptiness of, get this now, worldly living. You guys got that? Listen, the life lived for mere pleasure, friends, is no life at all. It really is. It's no life at all. It's, 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 it's a living death. That's what Paul's saying. It's a living death, whether lived by a young widow or older widow or anyone else for that matter. Living for the world and living for pleasures of the world is like living death. Right? And that's what Paul's driving at. Verses 7 through 8. Give the people these instructions too so that no one may be open to blame. The ESV says it like this. They may be what? Without reproach. So he says, give the people, Timothy, pastors, leaders, give the people these instructions. Show them how to care for widows, those in needs, right? And so a pastor needs to teach these things so all will know what God expects of them so that no one may be open to blame. That's what he's saying. Or without reproach. And that being said, we are a reflection of the Lord Jesus Christ, aren't we? Right? And the way we act reflects upon Christ and reflects not only upon Christ, but upon his church. We all reflect on the testimony of Christ and his church. And this is why Paul says we need to be without reproach, that no one may be open to blame. To be what? A living testimony of how Christians should act and treat widows. Amen? Verse 8, anyone who does not provide for his relatives, and especially for his immediate family, has what? Denied the faith and is worse <laughs> than what? Than who? An unbeliever. Now, now, now follow me here. It's not saying, it's not saying that if you don't take care of your father or your mother that you are an unbeliever, but rather that you are acting worse than an unbeliever. You guys with me? And now follow me here, now follow me here. Now there are a lot of unbelievers, I know a lot of unbelievers who take care of their parents, right? Don't you? They take care of their parents. But the point is that, that if even unbelievers know that that's the right thing to do, shouldn't those in the body of Christ, shouldn't those in the household of God, shouldn't those in the family of God know that even more? Absolutely. And you see, they are worse in the sense that of all people on earth, Believers, Christians, should be the most loving and the most gracious to care for those who need us. Amen? Ready for the lesson? Here we go. Take care of your family. It's that simple. Take care of your family. They're your family. It's scriptural to take care of your family. And when you take care of your family, this is pleasing to God. Amen? The way that you and I, the way that we care for our family members gives us a pretty good window, listen now, into our relationship with God. Amen? You want to be godly? You want to be close to God? Okay, you want to show your life that you're a godly person? Take care of your family. Amen? Say the procedure. 
Say the plan. Number three is the parameters. Say that. The parameters. Write that down. And here what Paul does, he gives the guidelines for the church's care of widows. Now, the primary plan, we covered this already, right, for the care of widows is the family, right? Their children, right? Their grandchildren, the family. Well, God's secondary plan, secondary plan, is the church. First, it's a family, the children. Secondary plan is the church. And we see this as Paul lays out the parameters, the guidelines for the church's care of widows, the qualifications for a widow who is really, say really, in need. Verses 9 and 10. Stay with me now. If you're still with me, say amen. Verses 9 and 10. No widow may be put on the list. <laughs> you get that? Of widows unless she is over 60. Now, I don't think Paul's going to be legalistic and say, well, you're only 59 and a half, so we can't help you. No. Okay? But they had, they had a standard here. Okay? A guideline. So she, what, must be over 60, has been faithful to her husband. In other words, she, she has to have a reputation and she has to have a track record of being the wife of one man and being a faithful, loving wife. Because you can be married to one man but not faithful. But she must have a track record of being a wife of one man and being a faithful, loving wife. Verse 10, as well known for her good deeds. This is referring to her testimony which includes, here we go, let's read on, such as bringing up children. In other words, she was a faithful mother. Huh? A faithful mother. Then, let's move on, showing what? Hospitality. In other words, she's a generous and gracious host to those that need a place to stay. Then he goes on to say, washing the feet of the saints. Now, in context, a context, it's the idea of total hospitality. That is, not only did she put them up, but she also fed them. And she washed their clothes. And she took care of them in terms of their total necessities and did so with great hospitality, willingly. Now, she could have washed their feet because in those days they had sandals. And when you would walk in the home, they would wash your feet first before you came in because your feet were dirty. You guys with me? Then she said, then, then, then Paul says, helping those in trouble, those who are hurting, okay? So when, when there are those who have been hurting, afflicted, she did what she could, and she did for others in terms of ministering, ministries of, of mercy. You guys got that? And then he goes on to say, and devoting herself to all kinds of good deeds, speaks of her spiritual Character. Therefore, listen now, follow me now. Therefore, if she has diligently followed every good work in all these things that Paul has just listed, then she should be put on the list. You guys get that? In other words, she qualifies. And you see what Paul is doing here, and you got to get this, is making it clear that there has to be a way to tell legitimate need from illegitimate need. Right? And if it's legitimate need, then the church needs to be the family for her. If you got it, so you got it. Paul now, no, 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 so Paul does. Paul now lists those who were not qualified to be on the list. And he gives two reasons, verses 11 through 13. Follow me. 
As for younger widows, do not put them on such a list. Why? Here's the first reason. For when their sensual desires overcome their dedication to who? To Christ. They want to what? They want to marry. Verse 12. This they bring judgment on themselves because they have broken their first what? Pledge. So, so evidently, evidently, one of the pledges on joining the order of widows was not to marry so that they could commit most of their time to serving in the church. But these gals, these young gals, okay, were young enough and they wanted to get married. You guys with me? And in doing so, what they did is they broke their pledge to God. They made a vow. They broke their vow to God. Their desire to remarry would outweigh their devotion to Christ to the point that they would allow sensual desires to supersede that devotion. If you got it, they got it. Second reason, verse 13, besides they get into a habit of being idle and going about from house to house, and not only do they become idlers, but also gossips and busy bodies saying things on Facebook. Did you guys get that? Modern translation. Saying things they ought not to. So their activities are destructive. This stands in direct contradiction to the good works of the older widows. Did you notice that? Right? So you ready for the lesson? Here we go. Idleness brings trouble. You guys with me? So see, see, Paul's concern here, his concern, Paul's concern that these young widows who have too much, who have too much time on their hands, okay, can end up causing trouble in the church. Because they're gossips, busybodies, all right? Listen, those who spend a lot of time talking about other people's lives need to get a life of them. To get a life of their own. Let me say this, okay? When you're busy about God's business, you don't got time to be in anyone else's business. That's Paul's point, right? When you're busy about being about God's business, you don't have time to be in anyone else's business. Got it? So, so, so how do you prevent young widows who are not married from being gossips, from being busybodies and idle. Well, let's look at verse 14. So I counsel younger widows to what? Marry. It's okay, marry. And what? To have children. To manage their homes. Do you get that? That's beautiful, isn't it? Our culture doesn't like that, but I think it's beautiful. And to give them, and to give the enemy no opportunity for what? Slander. When what Paul is saying, staying busy will keep them from keep them out of trouble and causing trouble. And, and they are to live their lives in holiness and manage their homes so that they will not give the enemy an opportunity for slander. Now, now listen, friends, listen. When people talk about the women here at Cry Out, okay, when they talk about the women here at Cry Out, they ought to have nothing negative to say about them. Amen? Because they're busy about God's business. They're busy about managing their home. And they don't give the enemy an opportunity for slander. 
Amen, women? And I'll tell you right now, you are awesome. I watch you. You're awesome. Amen? Verse 15. Some, doesn't name who they are, have in fact already what? Turned away to follow who? Satan. Now, now, now I did some research here. I, I don't believe that Paul is talking about a widow leaving, leaving the faith. Okay? I believe he's talking about a woman whose goals and desires have become directed by the world. By the world. That they are no longer focused on the concerns and no longer focused on the desires of the kingdom of God. And Satan had captivated their attention. Now, I got to tell you something. I'm going to stop here. Because, well, this can happen to any of us, right? 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 If we're not fixed and focused on God and on things of God. I have, I have, I have witnessed young widows, or even older widows, who have gotten married. Uh, and they were serving God, busy. They got married to a non-believer. And that non-believer distracted them from the things of God. Right? And they stopped serving God. I think that's what Paul's talking about here. You guys with me? But, but Satan can captivate our attention anytime he wants, right? And we got to be very careful not to allow him to do that. Verse 16, and here Paul, what he does, he gives his final word on widows. If any woman or man who is a what? Believer has widows in her or his family, she or he should help them and not let the church be burdened with them. You guys got that? Financially burdened. So that the church can help those widows who are Really, what? In need. If you're safe, say amen. We're going to wrap it up here. Families, families, immediate families, not the church, immediate families are the first in line of support for widows. Amen? It's right there. We just, we, we just went through it, right? And I want to say this. Listen, listen. Parents caring for their children is a very serious responsibility. It is, isn't it, parents? Serious responsibility. But there comes a day when the tables are turned and caring for parents is our responsibility. Because that's what the family does. Amen? Let's all stand.